Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Z and Vindesh. And today's topic is the madness of the crowd. So we're talking about this because when we look around the world and we see the coronavirus, which started in China a few months ago, it spread to Italy, it's now spreading to the U.S., there's just this sense of panic. And the measures that we're taking to respond to this threat are incredible. On the one hand, yes, there are deaths from the coronavirus, but it's certainly not like Ebola. It's not that people are dying and it's a 50% mortality rate and you're coughing up blood and you're dying horrific deaths, it's more like the flu where you have some symptoms and if you're in a category, if you're old, if you have a compromised immune system, respiratory problems, it could be serious for you. It seems that for the vast, vast majority of people who get this, it isn't that big of a deal. So on the one hand, the threat doesn't seem to be there, but if you look at the scope of response, it's incredible. We have China, which locked down the entire country, stopped a billion people from moving around and going about their normal routine. We've had cruise ships that have been sitting undocked for two weeks at a time. And now in the U.S., as this is finally coming to our country, we're seeing conferences shut down, people aren't traveling, schools are closing, people are working from home, everyone's freaking out about shaking hands, about sitting in subways. And some of this, yes, we can agree that you want to take basic precautions, but the scale of response seems completely out of whack with the threat. And it's almost that there's no stopping it, because once people get in on this idea that we have to do whatever we can to contain this horrible threat, everyone else follows suit. And if you're not following everyone else and you're not shutting down a school, God forbid someone gets sick, then you're at risk. So it's easier to just shut down the school because everyone else is doing it. Or same thing at work. If you have a conference planned, yeah, you could go ahead with the conference, but why do you want to take that liability? It's easier to just follow the crowd. And Z, as we've talked about it, this is a theme that we've seen throughout history. And I'm in the financial industry. We study this a lot. So you get these just crazy, crazy moments in finance where people seem to lose their common sense. We saw this in 1999 and 2000 with the technology bubble where you had companies like Pets.com, which had no actual value. And people just kept on bidding these up and up and up because they didn't want to miss out. And they didn't want to sit by while their neighbors and friends were making a ton of money. We saw the same thing again in 2007 and 2008, where there was this frenzy, I guess, leading up to 2007 to buy houses because house prices kept on going up. And there was a story that house prices would never fall nationally. So it was a good investment and that would support the stock market. And then, of course, we saw all of that unwind in 2008. So we as a species do have this hurting impulse. I think at certain times it serves us, and maybe we can talk a bit about why we have that impulse to begin with. But at the same time, I think we have to recognize the limits of hurting, uh, when it's useful, when it's not. And as we often talk about, it's important to be able to think independently and judge risk and reward for ourselves. If we just end up following the crowd, we do things that are insane And this is a big social cost. It's a cost to us personally. So 
today we're going to explore this phenomenon. Why do we have this hurting behavior? Why do we respond to certain things in a way that seems totally out of proportion with reality just because other people are doing the same thing? What's your perspective, Z? I like the way you tied in the financial market because it's, it's, it's real basic digits and, and a way of accounting and assessing for the exchange of energy, the financial market and financial exchanges on all the time. We can always use that as a, as a scale of quantifying this exchange of energy. Um, what I thought about right away when you, <clears throat> you were talking was one thing I wanted to get is the fear that people have, how that gets us going, this fear of dying. So if you could tap into the fear of dying with people, all reason typically leaves the room, or most of your rationale leaves the room. So let's settle this thing first on this whole uh, virus scare. We live our life, and we live our life with life and death points. And when you reach a number of death points, you die. Again, less the intervention of faith. So <clears throat> if you exercise on a regular basis, give yourself a life point. Bing! If you don't exercise on a regular basis, subtract a point. Bing! So the guy, that, guy or girl that exercises has one point. Uh, the person that doesn't exercise has a negative point, right? So they need to have two good points to make up for that negative point so they can have one point, right? So let's say the person <clears throat> that doesn't exercise eats really healthy. Bing! One point. So you see where I'm going with that. So we have life and death points. Everybody dropping dead of these annual or biannual flus and all that already start with low life points. They have compromised respiratory systems. They're in an unhealthy demographic to start with, right? They're already very low on the life point credit scale and very high on the death points credit scale. So for those that are really concerned with this virus, people who have a low life point scale are going to lose more points and then win the death contest. Those who have high life points get the virus and may lose some points, but they don't lose enough to win the death game. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I totally get it. As you're talking, I'm thinking about personal responsibility, which we talk a lot about. And yes, all else equal, I'd like to save as many people as possible. At the same time, we as a society can't be responsible for other people's poor decisions. And if you choose to live a life where you're smoking nonstop, you have respiratory problems, that's on you. If you're old and you're not in good health, you can do certain things to protect yourself. So maybe you self-quarantine, you shut yourself off from other people, you do what you need to do to survive. I don't think society has enough energy to take care of these health problems for people who aren't taking care of it on their own. And I don't think it's a question of cruelty or callousness, but it goes back to a concept we've talked about quite a bit, which is sustainability. If people are making poor choices, it's just not feasible for them to outsource that and wash their hands and say, you know what, 
I'm going to allow everyone else to take care of me. I'm entitled. I'm entitled for the world to accommodate my dysfunction and to make sure that I'm okay, I'm healthy, I'm going to live a long life. Yes, there are certain accommodations that we can make, but as a society, the things that we're doing right now for coronavirus, as an example, clearly aren't sustainable. It might be sustainable for a period of time, but if you look at the impact this is having on the economy, we've gone from from an economy which was pretty strong at the start of the year to one where we're forecasting a recession because no one's doing anything. They're calling this phenomenon cocooning. So we're voluntarily stepping away. We're seconding ourselves in our homes. We're not interacting. We're not transacting. And that's leading to a debt spiral. And in the financial markets, they've basically gone insane. Uh, as you pointed out, the oil has collapsed by 25%. Interest rates, which were already low at a, a percent and a half, are almost at zero. And that's happened in a period of a few weeks. I'm not saying the financial markets are always right. Sometimes they do go through the same sort of panic as we're talking about, and maybe they reverse and correct themselves. But certainly there's a real cost in terms of our well-being as a society to say we're going to disrupt everything that we're doing to protect people who haven't been able to look out for themselves. And part of it is maybe people are afraid to come out and say that because it sounds so politically incorrect. I like the way you put it earlier when we were talking, which is if you're in bad health, you're going to die anyway. So if the virus is killing people who are already dead or close to being dead, is that something that we should worry about? And again, I don't think that it means we want to off all of these people. uh, But if we have to think about where we want to devote our time and our energy and our resources, people have to bear some of that burden. You have to be responsible for yourself. So that to me, I mean, that narrative could be part of the reason for this crazy reaction, Uh, this narrative that we have to save everyone, we have to protect people. I think other parts of it are that the danger of the virus seems to be blown out of proportion. If you look at some of the original data that came out of China, they were forecasting a 3.5% mortality rate. But guess what? They weren't testing that many people. They were testing people who were obviously sick. So there might be a lot more people who have the disease who aren't being tested, which means that the mortality rate is lower. You also mentioned there are a lot of smokers in China, so that might have had something to do with it. If you look at the data coming out of South Korea, where they've tested a lot more people, mortality rate is closer to 0.5%. So how dangerous is this really? We still don't know. It seems like it's less dangerous than we originally thought. Yet the measures we're taking are more and more extreme. And it almost seems that they take on a life of their own. So if we, number one, buy into this narrative that we have to save everyone at any cost, and two, we don't challenge what the actual risk is, we just allow the media or someone else to define that for us without doing the investigation and the research, we end up with this big bandwagon effect where you've got a few people, or maybe it starts in China and they lock the nation down. People look at that and they say, oh my goodness, this has to be serious let me do the same thing. Now it moves to the US, you've got one company which restricts travel, all other companies are saying, what's the advantage that I have to going around business as usual? It's much easier for me to follow the crowd and avoid responsibility. And if anything goes wrong, I'll be able to say, I just did the same thing everyone else did, versus me standing out on a limb and doing something different, and then suddenly I'm at risk for being pilloried 
in the public arena and people can criticize me and my image is going to take a big hit. So I, I guess it seems to be a combination of a few things. It's some false narratives that go around, some lack of data. And once you have those conditions in place, it just seems to spiral out of control. Yeah, Vin, it's bringing out what we've been talking about, the end result of a kind of a, a cultural shift towards this deeply entrenched entitlement model. None of this stuff is going on because people are magnanimous. I don't agree that people are thinking we have to save everybody. It's just a lot of people saying, you got to save me and whoever you is. I don't know who you is. I don't know who the Savior is supposed to be because everybody is jumping in the life raft asking who's going to row the boat, right? And they're making this stuff up as they go, but it's, it's an inevitable consequence of what we have created over the last so many years, this constant acceptance of unhealthiness the normalizing of general unhealthiness, uh, poor lifestyle habits, poor mental health. We just keep justifying it, justifying it, normalizing it. And then nature rears its head, as she will on a regular basis, and we are unfit to deal with it. Let's say it wasn't the new uh, Macarena virus or whatever the hell you're going to call it this time. Let's say it was just an earthquake from fracking and the streets and the infrastructure collapse. They would be doing the same thing, savaging their neighbor for resources or supplies or demanding an invisible uh, government or this, this, this benevolent monolith or whatever shows up and rescues people from their own behavior. Um, regrettably, in China, people don't give a damn about the environment because they're trying to work every day and just put, uh, buy new things because they've opened the door to capitalism. So if people get sick like they used to always get sick there, you have more people in the workforce, more people huddled up in cities, and, and, and so the, the viruses can grow stronger and stronger. You have a, a more dense petri dish of activity. In the U.S., um, we have the shaming of healthiness, right? The meat industry just poured in a huge amount of money to denigrate um, veg, vegetable-based proteins. There are people uh, protesting or going to court so you can only call dairy or, or cow products milk. You can't say cat. They don't want you to say cashew milk. Right? So there's a lot of stuff going on that can only lead to disastrous consequences. So once nature rears its head, of course, we've created superbugs of all kinds. We over-vaccinate. I think they, they require kids to get uh, many, many types of vaccinations that will basically create a superbug. Right. And we know that. But right now I feel great because I got the shot and and I'm protected from other people who don't have the shot. So it's not even magnanimous reasons we're doing these things. They're deeply and primitively selfish and unsustainable for civilized people to act in an uncivilized way. It is not sustainable. We're following really base impulses. And then we're throwing logic out of the window and just following rumor. How about for those people who have opted out of this madness? I'm going to give you a secret. And you don't even have to be a subscriber yet to our website. But for free, I'm going to offer the cure to coronavirus. Are you ready for it, Vin? 
Yeah, lay it on me, man. I'm shaking with excitement. Dharma Media, free offer, the cure to coronavirus. This is it. Don't get it. Wash your hands. Wash your ass. Limit, limit the number of people you hang out with any freaking way for your own mental health. Don't go in big crowds of unhealthy people. Avoid the diseased herd. There's nothing you need anymore at the shopping mall. Amazon can bring that to your house. Find friends that you like that are not infected. Nurture those relationships. Stop running around like an idiot with your chicken with its head cut off. Consume, consume, go, go. Look at your family. Show gratitude for them. Wipe your kids' damn nose. Vacuum the house. And enjoy the, and enjoy the day. You won't get sick. Stay away from people that are grotesquely unhealthy. Avoid them at all costs. If they're smoking, if they're eating at chicken pluckins, if they're doing any of these kinds of things, right? Just avoid them. And you will not get the pandemic. And if you find yourself a little snotty or itchy-throated, stay home, drink hot water, have some tea, moderate exercise, reasonable amount of rest. You'll feel better shortly. Hell, I just had the damn thing. I don't know what I had. I went to the hospital and I had some kind of the croup, uh, the, the Ebola. I don't know what it was. Dengue. Could have been a number of diseases. But it lasted for longer than I ever had. It lasted for a few weeks. I got over it. I'm fine. Feeling great. Flushed out. Fasted. Got a colonic. You know, cleaned all the diseases out of your body. I had a house full of people. But we're all fine. Because... In a reasonable world, we understand that there are too many people living on top of each other. Each of these people are scratching for their own identity separate from others. They want to interact, we want to interact in this world and burden the world with our entitlement, but give nothing back to the world. No space at all. Diseases grow in a petri dish. So don't be in a petri dish. That is the cure. Man, I wish the audience could see you right now. You're, <laughs> you're sitting back like uh, you're just one in chess, a checkmate. So you make so many good points. I think this discussion, we got to keep it on track because we could probably talk for hours. When we're talking about coronavirus and we're talking about human response and human health, we touch on so many topics. We've got entitlement. We've got sustainability. We've got underlying cause and effect. So yes, don't hang out with too many people. Don't spend all your time at Disney <laughs> riding the same rides that 100,000 other people are on and calling that fun uh, while they're sneezing and they've got snot dripping off their nose on the handrails. So all of that, I think, are good points. Uh, just the fact that uh, as we as a society, uh, we live in more and more crowded conditions. Yeah, this, this sort of thing is going to spread. We abuse antibiotics. We create new superbugs. Let's put all this aside for a second because I want to get back to the idea of the madness of the crowd. So uh, if we just focus on that for a second, and we think about why this has gotten so bad, 
So, see, if I think about this, as we talked about, the hurting behavior has always been an issue since the beginning of time. It seems like it's getting worse, and I can think of a couple reasons for that, and I'd like your perspective as well. One is the technology. So you've got information which spreads instantaneously. You have memes which people pick up. You've got Gwyneth Paltrow, and she's getting on a plane, and she's got a mask. And suddenly everyone's buying a mask, even though people are coming out and saying masks aren't going to do anything to stop the spread of coronavirus. And in fact, all you're doing is taking masks away from the healthcare system that actually needs it when they're serving patients. But people are still panicking and they're running around and doing this because they see Gwyneth Paltrow or someone else on Instagram doing the same thing. So you've got this technology issue. And the other thing which I think is important, and this probably is is something that you could help us all think through. I think anxiety is a big part of it. And for some reason, we've gotten to this place where we're just crushed by anxiety. We start thinking about mortality. We start thinking about the worst case. Or we don't even know what we're thinking about, but everyone else's anxiety rubs uh, rubs off on us. So we pick it up just through our interactions. And when you have anxiety, you feel like you have to do something to stop the anxiety. And what's interesting is anxiety, or if you step back from anxiety, something like worry or stress, that does serve a purpose. So if it leads to productive action, then great. You're worried that someone's going to kick you out of your house because you can't make your mortgage payment. Guess what? You sell the house or you find another job so you can make more money. That's something that's productive. But we almost have gotten into a mode where we take action for the sake of action. And the action itself calms down the anxiety, even if it doesn't lead to anything productive or reduce our risk. So you got people running into Costco who are loading up on toilet paper, as you mentioned. What does that actually do? Or you've got people buying a ton of bottled water. Is the coronavirus going to destroy the water supply? Are you suddenly going to have water not coming out of your tap? What is it? I mean, what, what is the logic behind this? But it's almost like action somehow soothes this spiral of thought that we have going on and on in our mind. And it doesn't stop it, but it calms it. It makes us feel better. It's this temporary reprieve. Talk about that for a second. Why is it that we feel like we need to do something and we don't even think about whether what we're doing makes any sense? Well, Vin, it's pure ignorance. When you start finding yourself rat-wheeling, you're just rat-wheeling, rat-wheeling your way through life. You're just moving, 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 moving. You're responding to a very primitive um, impulse of survival. So something is chasing you. But you also have the struggle of the modern human with the prefrontal cortex. Then you have the, the back of the brain that's just reptilian, and you're sending these pictures of doomed despair. But there's nothing to connect it with. There's no visceral loop anymore. Okay, hey, there's a dinosaur trying to eat me or a big cat chasing me. I'm going to run. I'm going to get on my rat wheel and just go. I'm going to just go and go and go. Then when I get so tired, I'm going to look back and hopefully he won't eat me or I'm going to be eaten and I'll go into the unknown. So usually you got away. That's why you got four, you know, you got grandchildren and shit because you got away. They're a little faster than you, so they, they survive it. But now we, we still rat wheel. So instead of the tiger or the 
dinosaur chasing us. It's some meme on the internet. It's something you looked at the internets and there's this disease. So you just jump on the rat wheel and it takes you over to Costco. And your stomach's all messed up and it's gurgling. So your first instinct is say, hey, I think I have diarrhea. And I'm going to have it for a long time. So I'm going to buy 50 cases of toilet paper. Oh, I mean, how many calories is toilet paper? What can you do with that? But you're not thinking because ignorance has pervaded your whole mind, so you're just rat-wheeling. Just rat-wheeling. Just running for no reason. That's what you're talking about. That frenetic movement, which, by the way, a lot of people suffer from that anyway. If you notice how few people can sit still, not only physically sit still, but mentally be still, and not chase every thought in their head, every single thought in their head that flies up like a feather in a breeze or a leaf in the wind. They're just chasing it. Then now they're chasing that 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 leaf or that 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 is being blown to and fro, and now they're chasing another one. So we're already in a bad place, but we can't sit still. In order to sit still, we need to, a moment, just maybe even a nanosecond. To process information, to see what the task is hand. Don't jump from one thing to another. So that's a problem anyway that we didn't put in check. And now all that has to be added is the latest fear or scare. Reasoning, logic, gathering information, weighing evidence, all that goes out of the window because you're now into a primitive survival state and all you want to do is run until you're exhausted. Till you're friggin' just empty, till your bones are ground down. Then you stop and go, oh, now I can rest and sleep. You get as close to death as you can. And people have been living their life like that for a long time. And then we look out the window of our homes. You see the chaos of the city, that's normal. You get in traffic, as someone said the other day, it takes an hour to get from L.A. to L.A. I, I love that. You can't even, I, I, you can't get from point A to point B and most of the people have no place they really need to be. Then you're going to these uh, uh, super retail outlets and people are lined up outside for what? Why are you standing in a line? But these are the same people who stand in line for the newest iPhone or they stand in line for whatever the newest concert or whatever. I don't know what they do now for music, but at one point they were waiting for the release of something on a on a chip or something. I, I don't even know how it works anymore. And I tell people when you're thinking, when you think for yourself, don't stand in any line unnecessarily. Don't line up behind a bunch of people because you heard about something they heard about that you need to hear about so you can have that thing. And we, we, we haven't exercised that level of intelligence. It hasn't been encouraged. We've been buying more and more of the okey-doke. We buy the idea of fat acceptance, of, of, of habit acceptance, of mental illness of all kinds acceptance. We walk around most modern cities and they look like collapsing, uh, collapsing third world dictatorships with homeless rampant, uh, medieval diseases uh, befalling the population. They, 
In L.A., they've had an outbreak of typhus. I think more people died of typhus in L.A. than of the uh, corona or whatever virus, right? Typhus, a medieval disease. So when we start to stop, pause, let's really forensically break down some of this stuff in front of us. So we, again, our big thing is taking personal responsibility, personal stewardship of your life, maintaining sustainable, healthy models in your life, physical, emotional, psychological, health, all around. And that starts with first being able to use your intelligence in the way that it supports you so that you can tether that, that naked beast and not be governed by primordial impulses. And don't believe the stuff you're hearing. Don't take it at face value. Always ask these bearers of bad news and information, what do you hope for me to do with this information? What would please you once you've given me this information? Is it, are you just doing this to save my soul? Are you telling me this because it's in my best interest? You've never done anything else in the interest of others, then suddenly you want to bear me this favor? I know it. I can sound pessimistic at times, and, and I, I own that. I just That's what I've learned from living in this world. There's a reason that they're putting this out. There's something under this story. This is no different than the call to war. Remember during 9-11, it got down to either for us or against us. Let's go bomb Iraq, and if you're, if you're against it, you're against America. If you want to ask questions, gather evidence, get proof, then you're an enemy of the state. How soon we forget? That was what, 20-something? Not even 20 years ago? Was it 20 years ago, maybe? So, you've been through this before, Vin, and what I appeal to are those people who listen to uh, and share our thoughts and listen to some of the things we have to share and, and, and tools of, of, of self-governance. Don't believe the hype. Gather information. The people that are dying are already physically compromised. If you don't want to die of something that's in the environment now, Manage your health now before you get sick. Stop eating uh, chick aromas and Snickers or whatever it is that's undermining your health. Stop getting random shots and dropping pills. Um, get off the anxiety medication that's making you more anxious and shutting down your immune system. Then all your friends are in anxiety medication anonymous or whatever. So they have compromised immune systems. They're using all manners of psychotropic drugs in order to function during the day. Pick new friends. Or go work at a contagious clinic and accept the consequence. That's what you're doing. Bathe in the Petri dish of disease and accept that you will be diseased. Don't jump in the water that's filled with sharks and complain that you're bitten by sharks and, and ask, demanding all manners of resources be used to help you. That's what we're doing. So those of us who are thinking, 
let's 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 pull out a little bit and take a look at what's going on. Have you done everything that you need to do prophylactically to reinforce your health, which is ideal to do anyway? Start your day with your supplements, your smoothies, get a bit of exercise in, read a book, um, be selective about who you share your time with. These are things you should do anyway. Right? I tell poor Caitlin all the time, don't be so quick to jump in bed with these guys without protection. Gross. Get to know people. I don't even do that anyway. Well, she, she says she's working on it. So, <laughs> you know, the guy is snotty and dripping, and it's like, okay, he's telling you that he's healthy and he works out every day. He's got a huge gut. The guy's not healthy. I love this healthy. theoretical story. The guy's not healthy, and I, tell, I try to get her to, you know, think about that. And everybody, I generally try and get people to just think for yourself. And um, go that route, okay? So this isn't some fantastical uh, Armageddon-type thing. We have been marching this way for a long time, and I'm saying those of you who think for yourself, get out of formation. Don't march yourself off a cliff with the rest of these people. You follow me, Ben? Yeah, I completely follow you. Uh, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And if I have to summarize what you're saying, you're talking about your environment. What are the conditions that you create day to day? Whether it's the people that you spend time with, the people you interact with, are they healthy, are they sick? Are you in overcrowded and diseased conditions? Or are you living in an area where you're less likely to get some disgusting virus? If you think about your physical health, are you strong enough to survive some attack of a pathogen because you're healthy, because you don't smoke, because you've got the right diet. So there are all of these routines that we can use to keep ourselves healthy. And I want to add something to this. And going back to a previous part of our discussion, you talked about that rat wheel. I love that term, rat wheeling, and how that's a problem anyway. And we've just got all these triggers from all of the news that we absorb and the memes on Instagram and the other people we talk to who are in panic mode and they're pressing our buttons, that's the other thing that I would encourage people to step away from. Because even if you get your health right, if your mental health isn't right, if you're doing things that are going to feed your anxiety, you've got the TV on all the time and you're listening to something depressing on the news, or you can't take your eye off of your cell phone and you're looking at every single feed, every single update about the disease, that feeds this sense of panic and dread and that leads to the anxiety, it leads to the behavior. If we tie this back to the financial markets, I see the same thing every single day. I was talking to a friend of mine at work, and he was telling me, yeah, I didn't sleep that much. I didn't sleep until 2 in the morning. And I said, oh, really? Wait, why? What were you doing until 2 in the morning? And he said, I was watching the carnage in the oil markets. So oil overnight, because oil trades overnight, it was down 30% or something like that. So he's sitting there just watching this unfold for hours. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Do you run an oil company? Are you trying to lock down long-term contracts at higher prices? Are you trying to sell out of your oil exposure? If not, what use does this have? It's a way to pass the time, and we get hooked on this sort of thing, this cheap stimulus, and it keeps our mind going, but it promotes this, this anxiety that we're trying to get out of. And I think it creates a very fragile condition where, as you're saying, Z, we become much more vulnerable to this type of panic and this type of herd behavior because we're primed. 
we're already on edge. We're already waiting for the next trigger, uh, the next pandemic. And then we just jump into the fray. So keep that in mind. And I want to get your perspective on something a little bit different because we've been talking a lot about personal responsibility, uh, which I completely agree with. Hey, hey hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she had to show me her unicorn notebook with uh, drawings. Yeah, kids have a wonderful way of making you realize that you're really in, an insignificant piece of shit, right? Yeah, no. Well, maybe your kids. I feel grateful. I've internalized all your teachings. So... <laughs> Anyway, uh, we've been talking about personal responsibility and making sure that you're living your life in a way where you're going to be healthy, you can manage your own health, you can survive in this world. But what's interesting about this case of coronavirus is the world actually is doing what we say don't expect the world to do. So we tell people, don't expect the world to take care of you and look out for you. But when I look around, the world is going through extraordinary efforts to accommodate people who might be vulnerable to this disease, which I find incredible. Are we headed in a direction where all of these panics, any kind of crisis, real or manufactured, requires some response, some output of energy? And if that's the direction we're headed in, what does that do to us? I think it's, it's all part of prophecy. You know, when I, when I sit there, Vin, and I study, you know, a lot of the old texts from, the, from Hinduism and Taoism, all these are old aboriginal stories. We live in those times. We're in the twilight of the Kali Yug. And, and that's one way to put it. We're very far from the center of nature. So we live in the upside down world right now. For those of us who know it, we re-vector ourselves. We rearrange our artificial horizon to compensate for being upside down. Left is right, right is wrong, up is down. Normal is abnormal, healthy is sick. So once we understand the code, we make the adjustments in our own life. It is the time of hunkering down. What I mean is, if there were a great plague or famine that befell the world, those of us, those who would survive, would hunker down with their resources. They would create whatever minor fortress in their life, portable or whatever that they could, so that they can weather the storms, find resources and arrange the logistics of their life accordingly. These are the times we live in. Sustainability in all areas of life, really, and it's not so bad. You're only going to have a handful of good friends in your life anyway. Um, cultivate that. I do sustainable gardening now. Just learning how to do sustainable gardening is actually kind of fun. Not that fun. It's not as fun as you know a bunch of chicks eating around, but it's fun. So you, you we, we ate a few uh, few calories the other day from foods we grew out front. And what does that teach you? If you reconnect to nature, nature reconnects with you. Nature is sustaining and sustainable. Living outside of nature is not sustainable. It is the physics of our known universe. So we've been trying to live outside of nature for a very long time. It's time to return to nature. The, the, I'm really talking about the subtle higher nature, the higher consciousness. Nurture and tell the people in your life you love them and show them you love them. Show them with your actions, as we talked about last week. 
pragmatic display. Just like when your little girl ran in there to talk to you, that moment that you acknowledged her humanity and took the time to love her will stick with her and with you for all the days of your life, and it's a beautiful moment. And that's what life is. When we lose those moments, avoid them, we don't really have anything. We have nothing. You're just on the rat wheel running from the myth, running from a, a, a mythical dragon until you're so exhausted there's nothing left, and when you catch your breath, you do it again. You fill yourself up with nutrients that are empty, hollow, synthetic, genetically modified, and you get back on the rat wheel. Then finally, when, when nature displays herself and sneezes or cough on you, you can't withstand it. You can't withstand it. You have no immune system. You've been running on high anxiety for so long that your brain is about to break, and one more thing breaks it. And you slowly find yourself falling out of the stream of life and into the stream of, of lifelessness. So this is a natural place where people are at. What I'm saying is stop and think. Reinforce yourself with what nature has given you. Good health. Uh, right mindfulness. Right action. Ratchet it down a few notches. Back away a little bit. You'll find that you miss nothing. You find that you miss nothing. Take your, your internet break, take your media break on a regular basis so you can actually um, filter what you've just been eating all day. So it's easy to spend hours. I, I, since I've been on our media project, I told you I've been spending time being a media blog, just looking at this endless stream of endless streams of inconsequential bullshit. And it sucks you in and sucks you in deeper. And if you're intelligent enough, you pull yourself out and you wash the stink of that off you and say, hey, what were they trying to sell me? What was the worldview they were trying to get me to support? And when you do that, then you find yourself in a clear space, in a healthy space, in a holistic space. And these diseases will come and go, the flu season will come and go, and they will be uneventful. But we have to separate. We must separate. You follow me? Well, we absolutely need that perspective. And we've talked about it before. We need to be able to discern what's real from what's an invention of the mind. I was thinking about this today as everyone is panicking about the coronavirus. And literally, in my workplace, we had three different calls today about the exact same thing. What do you do? What are the procedures? What are the numbers to call? What happens if you work from home? Are you logged in? Can you make sure that you can log in? And a couple of things struck me as we were going through this exercise. Number one, when you talk about the incentive people have to sell you something, I think people get a kick out of propagating panic because it makes them feel important. They suddenly become the voice of reason in the storm. So, oh my God, things are dire, things are terrible, but listen to me, I'll guide you. I'll tell you what to do. That feeds the ego, and that feeds the panic. It doesn't mean that there's anything real, but it does something for the people who are propagating this. So be aware of that. Be able to step back from that and judge for yourself whether this is real or not. I think the other cost of this is that we treat these non-events as panics. We satisfy ourselves by seeking reassurance, by looking at the Internet eight hours a day. What happens in an actual panic? What happens if we face something serious and all we're trained to do is go on Google 
or check our newsfeed on Instagram and try and calm ourselves down. There are a few moments in this life where maybe we live, we die, depending on the course of action that we take. I don't think we're prepared for that at all. And yeah, yeah, and we're moving in the opposite direction. We're unpreparing ourselves because we're crying wolf. We're treating non-events as panics and thinking that we're prepared without any idea of what to do in a real moment of crisis. Um, like I said, our advice is get off the rat wheel. Again, go back to think for yourself. Uh, look at the evidence. Reinforce yourself and stay away. You cannot help people that don't want to be helped. Yeah, this, this whole madness of crowds, uh, we're seeing it unfold in real time. I think this is a good opportunity to avoid the mistakes of the past. Don't be the person who jumps in to the housing market right before it collapses because you don't want to miss out. Don't be the person who says, oh, Hitler's not that bad. Uh, let me just pretend I don't see what's happening. Let me go along with it. Be the person who's able to step back, think independently, take care of themselves, and make your own assessments. That's the best way to proceed. That's right, Vin. As I said, don't go for the okie doke. All right. All right. Let's talk soon. <laughs> Good. Yeah, hopefully you're still alive. And uh, if we're not all dead from the coronavirus, we'll talk to you next week. There you go. All right. Love you, man. Peace. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Every five-star review allows us to share more unique and insightful content. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week. Peace.